Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, as we open up these scriptures, we pray that you would open up our minds that we might receive your truth. Open up our hearts that we might receive your grace. And open up our very lives that we might receive Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? When the men had Come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds, that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Jesus' ministry was not going the way John the Baptist had expected it to. I mean, he was quite sure that Jesus was the right one, the Messiah for whom his people had waited for so long. And after all, they were cousins of a sort. And until they died, John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, had, had taught John since he was very young that he had a very special role to play in preparing the way for Jesus to fulfill the messianic promises of the Old Testament and inaugurate the day of the Lord when God's kingdom would finally break into this world. 
And for 30 years, John had trusted that to be true. And so when the word of the Lord came to John one day in the wilderness, telling him that the time had come, John immediately headed down to the Jordan River where he began proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so that the people of Israel might be ready for Jesus when he showed up. Of course, John knew that when he did, things were going to get a little wild. After all, as many of the Old Testament prophets understood, the day of the Lord was not going to be quite the glorious day of vindication and vengeance against all of Israel's enemies as many people thought. Oh, it would be a day of darkness and destruction, all right, but judgment would begin with the house of Israel. And so John kept baptizing people and challenging them to bear fruits worthy of repentance. For one more powerful than John was coming, and he was going to set the place on fire. As John said, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, I don't even know what a winnowing fork is, but it doesn't sound good. But then one day, Jesus shows up at the Jordan River and himself is baptized, and John begins waiting with great anticipation for that glorious day that his entire life had been in preparation for. But nothing happens. Well, maybe John thought Jesus needed to to build an army first. And so he just kept preaching and, and, and baptizing Uh, so that the people would all be ready when the time came. And even when John was thrown into prison by King Herod Antipas for speaking out against his adultery and other evil acts, John still was waiting with expectation for the world to catch fire. But there was no day of the Lord, no messianic flamethrower, No winnowing fork, no judgment. And rather than gathering an army and marching on Jerusalem or Caesarea where all the power players were, instead, Jesus becomes a traveling evangelist out in the country. That, of course, is where we last saw Jesus. If you recall from the last six weeks, After Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he headed north toward the region of Galilee. And when he went to his hometown of Nazareth and gave his inaugural address where he laid out his messianic agenda, his own people rejected him. They were offended at his words and tried to kill him. So Jesus headed down to the town of Capernaum where he cast out some demons and healed everyone there who was sick. And the people there tried to get him to stay there with him, but he immediately moved on to the next town. 
Well, eventually Jesus did come back through Capernaum where he healed a centurion slave from a distance with but the authority of his word. And the people of Capernaum were thrilled that Jesus and his healing power had come back among them. And this time they hoped beyond hope that maybe he would finally stay there with, him, with them forever and never leave them again. But soon afterwards, the text tells us, Jesus moved on once again. So rather than waiting around for Jesus to come back a third time, the crowd figured maybe they should stop trying to control Jesus and just follow him instead. Jesus never seems to stay very still, does he? Now, every time we keep trying to pin him down with our goals and our plans, he just slips through our grasp and keeps moving. For his ministry of salvation continues. And the only solution to this problem is to stop trying to control Jesus and Just follow him wherever it is that he chooses to go, allowing him to set the agenda. You know, we keep waiting around for Jesus to bless our agenda. But that will only leave us feeling frustrated and disappointed that that Jesus is not doing the things that we hoped or expected him to do, causing us to miss out on what he is actually doing in our lives. So this new crowd of disciples follows Jesus to the village called Nain, where there happened to be a funeral procession taking place. Apparently, the only son of a widow had died, leaving her alone and without any means of providing for herself. And when Jesus saw her grief and recognized her situation, his heart went out to her. And so he went up and and stopped the procession. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. And immediately the dead man sat up and began speaking alive and well. Again, with but the authority of his word, Jesus claimed the widow's son back from the claws of death and gave him new life. And having witnessed this incredible display of power and authority, some of John's disciples who happened to be there went back and told John everything that had happened. And John is confused. I mean, he, he had been sure that Jesus was the right one, and yet Jesus wasn't doing all the things that he expected him to do, including perhaps coming to free John from prison. They were family, remember. And so perhaps out of confusion that things were not going the way he expected them to, or perhaps out of fear that John really had made a terrible mistake about Jesus and had failed to fulfill his mission to prepare the way for the true Messiah who had yet to come. 
And so John sends two of his disciples back to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Are you the one? In many ways, that is our most basic question in life. The one we ask silently and often unconsciously of every person who comes into our lives. Babies ask their parents, are you the one who will provide for me and take care of me? Students ask their teachers and their coaches, are you the one who will inspire me? When we get a new job, we ask our boss, are you the one who will bring out the best in me and help me achieve what I'm trying to in my career? When we meet a new person, we ask, are you the one who will be my friend? We go through our dating years looking for someone to marry, asking, are you the one who will love me unconditionally and go through life with me? We come to church asking the pastors, are you the one who will help me understand God's word and bear witness to my life when I am gone? Are you the one that I am looking for? Or should I wait for another? And whether we realize it or not, what all of these questions are really asking is, are you the one who can give me life? Are you the one who will save me? And as wonderful as all of these relationships can be, no other human being can possibly do that. Only Jesus can. But that means that until we get our relationship with Jesus right and realize that His grace and love are sufficient for us, then we will keep trying to make other people play His unique role in our lives. We'll keep waiting for someone to come along who will make us happy, who will fulfill all of our longings and desires, who will make our lives complete. But that's asking that person to be your savior, something they are incapable of doing. And that means that that relationship will then always be distorted and out of balance rather than the wonderful gift of grace that God intended it to be. Only when our relationship with Jesus is our top priority and devotion can all of the other relationships in our lives find their God-given, life-giving place in our lives. And we become free to love and enjoy them for the gift that they are rather than disappointed and frustrated at what they are not. Of course, one of the reasons we keep trying to find other people to play Savior in our lives is that we have failed to truly understand who Jesus is and what He has come to do. And often 
just like John, what we expect Jesus to do is judge us. After all, we know the truth about ourselves, don't we? And we know that judgment is what we deserve. And yet many of us already judge ourselves so harshly that the last thing we need is more judgment. No, what we really need is mercy and grace. And you see, even John did not fully understand the surprising lengths that God would go to to redeem his people. And contrary to John's expectations, Jesus did not come to judge us. No, he came to be judged in our place in order that he might save us and give us new life. So in response to John's question, Jesus says back to John's disciples, you go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. Which were the very things that Jesus said in his inaugural speech were going to be his messianic agenda. Which were also the very things that Isaiah said would happen when God showed up to save his people. You go tell John, Jesus said, that the grace and the mercy and the life-giving power of God have arrived. And blessed are those who do not go looking for another, but who find their sufficiency in me. What about you? Have you discovered the sufficiency of the love of Jesus Christ in your own life? Or are you still waiting for some new Savior to come along who will do the things that you wished that Jesus was doing in your life? And certainly, it's a wonderful thing when new people come into our lives, isn't it? A new friend, a new neighbor, a new employer, a new child, a new pet, a new romantic interest, a new church member. But none of these people can be your Savior. And how you answer John's question in your own life will determine just how healthy and life-giving all of those relationships can be for you. And how this church answers John's question will determine just how healthy and alive this congregation will be. For be very sure, there is only one Savior in the church, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, the subject of John's question, are you the one, can never be Kevin Long, 
or Rebecca Reeder or Derek Davenport or Craig Dobbins or Jeremy Fisher or any other member of our staff now or in the future. Jesus is the one who has come. We do not have to wait for any other. Not now, not ever. For as long as we keep following Jesus, trusting that He is sufficient, then whether we are meeting in person or online, whether we are in debt or in the black, whether we are short-staffed or full-staffed, whether we are shrinking or growing, then we will not fail to fulfill our mission to faithfully proclaim and faithfully live the gospel of Jesus Christ in grateful response to God's love. So do not be discouraged when it seems that Jesus is not doing the things that you hoped or expected Him to in your life or in this church. Put your trust in Him. For He is still the Savior and the only one who can truly give us life. And He's still on the move, fulfilling His mission to save us. And now that He has come back from the grave, Jesus will never, ever leave you again. Amen.